Uh, what we're going to do this evening is slightly different to what we usually do here at Chalmers. Usually uh, we pick a book of the Bible and we go through it and we read it and somebody preaches uh, to us from that. But in this guest service this evening, we're going to look uh, at an objection that people may have to Christianity. And the objection, as you may know, is this, won't Christianity ruin my fun. That's the objection that we're going to look at tonight. And here's how I want to to deal with this objection. I want to deal with it um, not by talking about fun, but tonight I want to deal with it by talking about joy. And I think that's a very different thing. And the reason I want to do that is because if, if you've ever thought that about Christianity, then behind that objection is a picture a false picture, I would say, firstly, of what the Bible says about God himself, and secondly, of what it says about what it looks like to follow Jesus. So behind the objection is this picture of, of, a, of a God as kind of as this strict teacher or this malevolent dictator, a kind of big brother figure who wants to control his subjects and ruin their fun. And therefore, those who follow him are missing out on, on the freedom of enjoying life and have to adhere to a strict set of rules that, to be honest, seems at best boring and at worst an affront to our freedom. Now, I want to say to you tonight that that could not be further from what we see of God through Jesus Christ. So, as I talk this evening, what would be helpful, as Scott said, just Anything I say, if there's any questions you have about anything I say, jot it down on that piece of paper. Please do text it in because if we're talking about joy, this is huge. This is about our happiness. This is about our contentment. And uh, I am convinced, and I want to convince you tonight, that God is for your joy. That's why I want to say, God is for your joy. And I don't want to say fun, but I want to say joy. Christianity, um, you know, Christianity won't, I believe, ruin your fun, nor will it necessarily increase your fun. Uh, You may be here tonight. You may be here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you are quite happy with where your life's at at the moment. You're quite happy with where things are at. And I don't want to doubt that and I don't want to say, no, you're not, you're missing out on something. You may well be very happy On the other hand, you may be here this night, you may be a Christian, and you may be feeling that happiness is about a million miles away from where you are this evening. You just feel like you're down in the dirt of life. And this is why I want to talk about joy, because in talking about joy, we are dealing with something deeper than happiness and fun. This is not about short-term pleasure. Tonight, I want us to look at lifelong contentment, a contentment that undergirds tears and pain, a contentment that comes from whether you've got loads in life or whether you've got nothing. And Christianity, or more pointedly, I would say Jesus, I would say, offers a joy and and a contentment in life that is unmatched. And that's so key because I'm convinced that one of the main problems in our culture today is not a lack of fun, but a lack of joy. So here's what I want to do this evening as we look at this. It's a huge topic. 
This is how I want to do it. Firstly, I want to see um, what, why the pursuit of joy is a problem in humanity. Secondly, I want to look at how we tend to deal with that problem. And then thirdly, I want to show you what Jesus Christ has to say about that problem. And hopefully, as we look at that, it will drive a hammer blow through that false picture of God as being this kind of harsh, controlling taskmaster and the understanding of Christianity as being boring and restrictive. I want to destroy that by looking at how God, and how, more importantly, Jesus, actually, is for our joy. Firstly, then, I want us to think about the problem of joy. And here's why I'm calling it a problem. You don't usually associate joy as being a problem. But joy is never something, it's never something that once you get it, that's it. You've got it. And and you have it for the rest of your life. Joy is something that we are always chasing after. It is a desire that is insatiable. You don't just get joy and that's you sorted. And we see this all over the place. Think about, um, think about the American Declaration of Independence. It states that mankind should be free for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's an interesting phrase, the pursuit of of happiness. You don't just become happy. You have to pursue it. And every single human being is part of that pursuit. Most of what we do in life is built built upon trying to achieve this. You know, we set goals that we think, if I achieve that goal, then I'll be happy. I'll be filled with joy. My life will be sorted. But no one ever seems to fully achieve it. The happiest people tend to be those who have their goals set off way in the future. Goals which they won't achieve for a while. So that could be many of you here today, especially if you're a bit younger or if you're a student. But the nearer you get to achieving that goal, the more you realize how insufficient that is in and of itself to give lasting joy and contentment. Our goals are not big enough. Even what we may be enjoying in life now, there's always that feeling in the back of our minds. If we're enjoying something, this is not going to last. Eventually, this will go. Lord Byron, who is a famous romantic poet, he summed it up well. He said uh, this, There is no joy that this world can give that it does not take away. There's no joy this world can give that it does not take away. That's why I'm saying that the quest for joy is a problem because our desire for joy is like a vacuum. No matter how many things we keep feeding in to give us pleasure and joy, we always need something more. We have inside us this joy vacuum. It's a vacuum that we need to constantly feed. Even when we achieve our goals, it doesn't seem enough. We need more. That's why I think the loneliest moment for many people in their lives will be when they achieve that which they thought would bring them the ultimate satisfaction. And the people who know this are those who have achieved those things. And examples of this are all around us. Why is it that it's the the most rich, the most beautiful, the most famous, that seem to be the most dissatisfied with life? Now, the person, I think, who, who best encapsulates this 
is uh, Russell Brand. Now, I'm quite a fan of Russell Brand. He's kind of gone off the radar a bit recently. But he did a great interview with Jeremy Paxman. Uh, Not the second one where he was kind of calling for this weird political revolution. But he did an interview before that in which he talked about uh, achieving his goals, achieving his dreams of being a celebrity. It's a fascinating interview. And for him, for Brand, being a celebrity was his chief aim in life. And he thought that that would bring him this kind of joy and this contentment. And this is what he says to Jeremy Paxman. It's a bit wordy because I'm quoting Russell Brand. This is what he says. He says, we have been presented with the attractive spectacle of fame to prevent us from the mundanity of our everyday life. But it has no value in and of itself. Fame is a spectacle and an illusion. We've been fed this gray sludge of celebrity, glittered up and packaged and lacquered and sent directly into our brains via the media. When you become famous, you get the initial thrill of achievement. It's good. It feels good. And then you realize that you need some nutrition from a higher source, something more valuable. Celebrity is utterly, utterly vacuous. It is like being presented with the most glorious meal. And yet when you eat it, there is no taste. There is no nutrition. It's like ashes in my mouth. It's tiresome. That for Russell Brand was what it felt like when he achieved that which he thought would bring him ultimate joy and satisfaction. So that's what I want us to see first of all, that this quest for joy, this quest for meaning, this quest for contentment is like a vacuum. We have a joy vacuum inside of us that never seems to be satisfied. And no matter what you believe, I think that seems to be the case. But secondly, I want us to look at then, okay, well, how do we deal with this? How does, if that is across the board in humanity, how do we tend to deal with this problem. And I think in general there are two ways that we tend to confront the problem of the joy vacuum, of this tireless quest. They're what I would call the keep pursuing approach and secondly the stop pursuing approach. Let me explain what I mean to you. First of all, the keep pursuing approach. So one way of dealing uh, with this problem is to keep filling up your life, your lives with things that give you temporal happiness. So people who live like this, they set themselves goals for their joy. And when they achieve those goals, they realize that maybe that's not enough. And so they set themselves another goal. And they keep pursuing goals until they feel that they can get some sort of meaning, some sort of joy out of life. So often this can be seen in in different phases depending on what point in life you're at. This is probably a gross generalization, but it tends to look something like this. Phase one, joy and satisfaction is found in either getting rich or partying or sleeping around. Then there's the next step as you move on in life. Phase two, it's found in trying to to get a house perhaps or get on the market. And then it moves on. There's phase three where it's found in trying to get a family and settle down. And then once you've kind of done those three phases, often it seems to come back to phase one again and it's about trying to get rich. And that's why people have a midlife crisis. Now, that's a very middle-class generalization, but I think there's some merit in it. There's these goals that we constantly place and that we seek to um, 
chase them down to give us some sort of satisfaction. And when you do achieve these goals, they let you down so you create more goals. It's a vicious cycle and it tends to look like this. Firstly, there's the ambition that leads to the achievement, that leads to that general euphoric feeling like Russell Brand described, which eventually leads back to emptiness. And so you set another ambition which you achieve and you get that euphoric feeling and it leads to emptiness. And so you keep doing it. You keep pursuing. It's the keep pursuing approach. Secondly, there's what I would like to call the the stop pursuing approach. Uh, And this is kind of very much the viewpoint of of existentialist philosophy. And it's an approach that recognizes that, that we do have this vacuous need for joy. But rather than trying to, to meet that, we should just accept the fact that ultimately there is no meaning and there is no satisfaction to be found in life. We should accept the blindingly obvious fact that life is just absurd. And one of the main proponents of this, and uh, to be honest, One of my favorite writers and a person who brilliantly encapsulates this is the Algerian philosopher Albert Camus. And one of the things that that fueled Camus' way of thinking uh, was football. Now, like Camus, I absolutely love football. Uh, I'm an avid Hibs fan. Uh, And he was a big football fan. I don't think he was a Hibs fan. But for him, it helped him to understand life. You see, he knew that, that football wasn't really anything meaningful. It's just a game. But it didn't matter that it was meaningless. He still enjoyed it. And that was his way of seeing life. You don't need to attach meaning to something to enjoy it. He also wrote a book called The Myth of Sisyphus, which is based upon a Greek myth. And it's this guy Sisyphus who is cursed by the gods to roll a, a rock up to the top of a mountain for it to fall all the way back down again. And then he had to roll it back up and then it would fall all the way back down. And that was how he carried out his existence. And that's what life is like. No purpose, no meaning. Just doing meaningless tasks. Now, here's the problem I have with both these ways of kind of dealing with our quest for contentment. And the problem is this. They just don't work. You see, if you were to adopt the keep pursuing approach, eventually you would just burn out completely. This is what can wreck a life. Think about it. A person who who sets these goals and when they achieve them, eventually they become tired of it, so they move on to something else. This This is why marriages break up. I've done that now, but but I'm tired, I'm bored. I need to move on to something else that will satisfy me. And the more goals you achieve, the more destructive it becomes, the more empty it feels. This is what we see in people who do achieve their goals. You know, if you've ever seen the film Chariots of Fire about the famous runner Eric Liddell, and you see um, the other runner, Harold Abrams, in that film, Two very different worldviews that both Eric Liddell and Harold Abrams have. And there's a bit in the film where Harold Abrams turns to his friend Montague and he says, Montague, he's a short distance runner, he says, I have 10 seconds with which to justify my existence on this planet. 10 seconds with which to justify my existence on this planet. What happens when you do achieve that? When you finish that race? and you make it in the time that you wanted. It's just a feeling of complete emptiness. These people fly too close to the sun. 
And that insatiable desire for lasting contentment burns them. And the stop pursuing approach is no better either. It it also doesn't work. It's very easy to say that there is uh, no meaning to life, so just enjoy it when you can. But you can't live like that. We still have this inbuilt into us, this desire for meaning, this desire for purpose, this desire for a lasting, true joy. And just to brand it meaningless doesn't remove it. It's almost impossible as well to live like this if your life starts to go down the drain. It's easy for someone like Camus to say it. He was quite happy to uh, embellish the celebrity lifestyle that his writing had created for him. So to keep pursuing joy in the little things of life won't work because joy is like a vacuum that we need more of. And to stop pursuing won't work because it's in our nature to want, actually to need joy and meaning. And this is where I think actually Jesus really does have something profound to say on this topic. Jesus doesn't say, he doesn't say that those things in life that we pursue for joy and meaning are bad and should not be pursued. He doesn't say that. And nor does he say that we should just ignore this desire that we have for joy and meaning. Jesus is aware that we have this joy vacuum, though he doesn't use that term. In fact, he uses a much better term. He calls it a thirst. There's an incident in John's gospel you can read in the Bible. John was uh, one of the people that recorded uh, an account of the life of Jesus. And there's an incident in that gospel in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets a woman at a well. And this woman, uh, she was in essence a social outcast who had been shunned by society because of her loose sexual lifestyle. She had five husbands, which in that culture would have been considered shameful. But Jesus comes to her and he crosses all the barriers, all the boundaries that had been put up at that time of race, gender, and social class. And he speaks to her. And even though everyone else had rejected her, he doesn't. And he offers her something. He says this. This is from John's gospel. This is what Jesus says to her. Come and drink the water that I give you. The water I give will never leave you thirsty, but will well up into a spring of eternal life. And it's a strange statement to say, but basically Jesus is saying to this woman, look, you're thirsting for something. You're thirsting for joy. You're thirsting for contentment, but you're looking for it in the wrong place. You're looking for it in in these relationships that don't seem to be working. So you start a new relationship, but they are not big enough. Rather, you need what I can offer. And Jesus calls it living water. And if you were to read John's gospel, you would see what he means by that term. Living water means God himself. Jesus is saying that he is the one who can quench our thirst for joy and for meaning. And the reason that Jesus is saying that he can do that is because he is not just some nice moral teacher, but Jesus is God himself come down to us in the flesh. So that vacuum that we have in ourselves for satisfaction, it is infinite in its depth. It's like a black hole. 
And therefore, the only way that we can satisfy it is with something that is infinite. We need God himself. The joy vacuum is a desire to reconnect with our creator. There's a famous theologian called Augustine, and he said this, that our hearts will be forever restless until they find our rest in God. And that's what Jesus is offering this woman He is offering her and all of us here a relationship with God, the one who made us. Jesus came for that purpose. He came to remove all that was wrong in our lives so that we could be brought back to our maker, so that we could be reconciled back to God. Jesus has come not to give rules. He came to give give a relationship. And that's such a key difference between Jesus and other religions. You see, God for the Christian is not a boss. He's not some Alan Sugar type figure in which we have to do these mindless tasks just to appease him so we don't hear these dreaded words, you're fired. God for the Christian is not a boss. God for the Christian is a father. And following him is not about earning acceptance. Rather, it's about loving him because he has already accepted us. That is why it's so joyful. You see, God, by his nature, is the infinite source of all that is beautiful, all that is good, all that is filled with joy. It comes from him. All that is good in this life is just a beam. He is the sun. They are just streams. He is the ocean. You see, Russell Brand, in that interview with Paxman, He summed it up well when he said this, perhaps we need to stop staring at the shadows on the wall and come to the source of life itself. Jesus is that source. That's what he is claiming. He is claiming to be the living water, the one that can quench our thirst. Lord Byron said that there is no joy this world can give that it does not take away. But the joy Jesus gives is not of this world. It's not temporal, but it's infinite. It's ever-increasing, a well that springs up to eternal life. And when you get that, that changes how you approach life now. See, there's nothing wrong with those things that we look for to give us joy and satisfaction in and of themselves. This woman at the well that Jesus encountered, she was looking for joy and satisfaction in relationships. There's nothing wrong with relationships. They're good things. The problem is when we make them our ultimate purpose for living because they're not big enough, they let us down. When we put all our hope, when we put all our self-worth into things like relationships or money or, or our job or our acceptance or whatever it is. But having God as your ultimate joy means that you can enjoy all the good things of life because you don't make too much of them, but nor do you make too little of them. Let me close by saying this, and then we'll move into a time of questions and we could uh, talk about this issue in more detail. I don't want to convey tonight that if you come to Jesus, your life will be sorted and it will be great because it won't. In some cases, your life will get more complicated and, and harder. Jesus does not offer some sugar rush of happiness But he is claiming to offer here lifelong fulfillment. And I don't want to also convey that Jesus has come just to make us happy. I think Jesus meets all our needs, not just our felt needs, but our real needs. That's why the image of water is such a good image. Water isn't 
only necessary for satisfaction, but it's necessary for survival. And what Jesus offers is not just necessary for contentment, but for salvation. So before we move into a time of questions, we're, we're going to break, we're going to sing a song, and we're going to have about a 10-minute break. Uh, we'll start questions about 20 past rather than half past. Um, before we move into that time of question, let me just ask you to seriously consider the offer of Jesus. If there's even the remotest hint that what he's saying here is true, then it does warrant some sort of investigation. So grab a gospel, chat to me, chat to the, the person you came with, and we'll gladly point you in the right direction. If you have any questions, please do jot them down, and we'll talk about this issue because this is about our joy. Let me pray, and then we'll sing. Father, thank you that Jesus has come to give us joy. Lord, we know that there is inside us a uh, a longing for satisfaction and meaning and for purpose. Thank you that in Jesus we can have that because Jesus has not come to give us rules, but he has come to give us a relationship. And that through Jesus we can be connected to you, we can be reconciled back to you. Through Jesus we can call you Father. Father, thank you for that amazing privilege. Thank you that what Jesus offers is a joy that is not just temporal, but a joy that will last for all eternity as we enjoy him and as we enjoy you. Father, help us now as we uh, think about this big question. Help us to wrestle with these ideas. And Holy Spirit, may you reveal the truth to us. In Jesus' name, amen.